0: She's a three-time Grammy winner, and he's an Oscar winner and a seven-time Grammy winner. We're here today on Crew Call with Dewey Lipa and Mark Ronson, who are behind this year's hit single, Dance the Night, on the Barbie soundtrack. I'm your host, Anthony Delisandro. Mark and Duo, welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah,
1: thanks, thanks for so having much. us.
0: Great to be here. So tell me about how. The two of you met. Dua, I know very early in your career, you were sending your demos around London and you were reaching out to managers and producers and whatnot. And I'm just curious, did you reach out to Mark early on? Um,
2: I actually, I didn't. That was um, a little bit too far-fetched of a dream for me to reach out to Mark early on. I was very much like Googling management companies in London and I had no idea how to even go about doing something like this um so I yeah I think I think for me I was just I thought okay I'm gonna post some covers on YouTube and on SoundCloud and I'm gonna try and see if I can get seen or heard and at the same time I was just like meeting people and going into the studio with lots of friends and just making demos and kind of just crossing my fingers and hoping that someone might hear something and might want to work with me basically was, um, what was happening when I was, when I was really, really young, but me and Mark met, um, I guess it was when we worked on electricity. Yeah. Well, we probably met before that at something.
1: Yeah. But- I think maybe cause you were working with some of the people that I love collaborating with, like yeah. Andrew Wyatt and Emile Haney. And I remember mm-hmm. everyone talking about how great you are and then uh diplo and i had the demo of this song electricity like sort of rough like mainly just the melody and the track and uh and i was actually in the studio with andrew white who co-wrote dance tonight with us and um I was working i was just like man who would sing this song like who has like who's like has that great soulful voice it could take because there's like gospely chords in the track as well and and obviously i wanted somebody who was like kind of big, like a pop star, you know, and, and Andrew had just been in this writing camp with Dua and just said, you know, it's great Dua. And I remember I had your number somehow, or maybe Andrew asked if it was okay to give you the number. Yeah. And I said like, Hey, this is, we got this song. I'd love you to hear it. And, and it kind of just went from there.
2: Mm. Yeah. And that was when you had, um, a studio in LA. That yeah. was like before you came back to New York for a bit, you were working out of like Zelig.
1: Yeah, and, and I, the... I will tell you, uh, there was <laughs> never a day that more boys showed up to the studio accidentally than the day that Dua <laughs> came in to record the vocals. It was a Sunday afternoon too, and there was like the farmer's market that shuts down all that whole <laughs> area of Sunset. So like, people really had to battle through to, to, to get there. And I remember just like, what are you doing here? They'd be like, oh, I just came in. Just uh, heard you doing the session with do it today. That's the truth.
0: <laughs> that's it, very funny. was it like the Beatles in reverse? Did, you know, can was she like running in front of the train station? Was there was there a whole mob after her? <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, the well, that's interesting. I was going to ask you guys about each other's superpowers um, later on in the interview, but you know, Mark. To pound out a good song, it takes them about 10 writing sessions. She does it in less than half that. Could you expound on that?
1: I think that certainly not in the case of Dance Tonight, because that was probably one of the longest I've ever worked on any song because we wanted to get it so right. But I think that, listen, I'm sure there's songs that do it that you've written in half a day that are incredible, and then there are some that just require and need and and that extra special care for what for whatever reason it doesn't mean that they're better or worse it's just every song is is different
2: I think um in my opinion like when I think about it on my first two records I probably didn't actually have the confidence to go back to a song and really fight for it in the way that we did for dance a night because I felt like whatever I got in the day Um, in the session, that was probably the best it was going to be, maybe like a couple of tweaks or whatever. Whereas the more I've worked, the more I like hone into my craft, the more I write, the more I spend time with incredible artists and songwriters and producers, the more I learn and I feel more confident that now I never want to let, you know, something good go to waste. And so when we fell in love with what we had, in terms of the melody for the chorus, we then went back and we worked backwards and we're like, all right, the verses were good, but we can get them better. So we went back and we rewrote the verses for Dance Night to make it perfect, to make it up to par with the chorus. Then we went in and started rewriting certain lyrics in the chorus to then have that, you know, marry in a way that felt like we were doing it justice. And on top of all that, we had this mega movie that with the whole cast that was having this massive dance number and you're like, all right, we can't let them down. We can't let Greds down. We can't let ourselves down. Like every part of this has to be 110%. And I love the process of doing that with Dance Tonight and I think it also just takes like a little bit more confidence to not give up on something and really, really fight for every tiny bit of the song. And I did that a lot with... The new record as well is just like, you kind of just take your time to, I don't know, really carefully curate every, every little bit. And that's what we really did with Dance the Night.
0: Can you tell me about the earlier version of Dance the Night? Was it, <clears throat> I'm always fascinated by songs. Like, for example, Billy Joel will have, you know, We Didn't Start the Fire was a very slow song. Before it became a very kind of snappy song was, I mean, obviously dance night was always meant to be a disco number, but was there something distinctly different about it in its early iteration?
2: I guess a part, like maybe we sped it up a little, like the original, you know, string instrumental. Um, I think so we upped the tempo. A yeah. bit, but like for the most part,
1: And also like the, the first batch of the lyrics were really, they were really good, but they were just about a bit more like leaning into the existential crisis and a little little bit more of like this sort of like when the world's against you, this is what you got to do and you got to get up. And it was, they were cool. But then every time we would watch it, especially as more footage came in of the film, it just didn't make sense with like, Margot Robbie like everybody, smiling and glittering like of course it was feasible they were listening to a Dua Lipa banger in Barbie land but just it and then when we started to open it back up Dua and Carolyn especially started to treat the lyrics almost like score like I remember the one time that I got chills and, and there were a couple when Margot this was the second time we are writing it where Margot goes like that and goes to run over and and Dua just was improvising like freestyle. She's like saying something about come along for the ride. And then that's like what all great choreography does. And that's why we love TikTok dances and whatever else. There's something magical that happens when what's happening on screen and what you're hearing completely match up. And that's what great score does and whatever else, but especially the lyrics. And then Dua started to get like so into it that there was even like this social moment, I I bet. Turn
2: the music up.
1: Yeah. Right. When Margo goes like that, (laughs) she goes like this and they put their hands
2: up and then it's like, come along for the ride. We had like just little things to match up to the movement and the moment. And we had the big screen set up in the, in the studio and we would watch it and write it. But yeah, I guess we did treat it quite like a score in that, in that sense.
0: Mark. Let's go back to the beginning. George Draculius reaches out to you, texts, texts you, says, "Barbie, was this was the film being shot then?"
1: The, I think they were two weeks out of shooting. I think they were like in, so they really like were through pre-production, but that they were about to do this start rehearsals for the big dance number. So yeah, I think they were one week out of rehearsals for the dance number, and. um I obviously wasn't aware of all this when it was going, but now that I've seen interviews with Greta and Margot, like that was the first time even all the cast met to really bond. And, um, you know, there was this sort of, I spoke to Greta and she's like, there's this big dance number. It's uh, it's the end of Barbie's best day. It happens early in the movie. I really want to set the tone for the film with this just like wonderful disco modern banger, you know, um, so I started to work on the track instantly because I read the script and I was just so in love with it and I loved everything about Greta and her vision. And um, I think that even in the early portion of it, I kind of had it in mind as sort of this like goal. Like you know, I didn't had no idea what she was doing, but but just to ask if she would be involved. And I started working on this track and I sent the earliest demo sort of skeleton to to Greta so she could start the dance rehearsals. Because at first they were like, well, just tell us what tempo it's going to be, or maybe another song that it might sound like that we can rehearse to. And I was like, that's bananas. Like, if you guys start rehearsing. But then at the same time, to have the pressure of us being locked into whatever I did on that first thing as well was like, okay, this better be good, even if it's just a demo. Because, and so, and, and that was what happened and then Once they started rehearsals, I sent it to Dua, and I just said, hey, there's this movie, it's fantastic. I think you're gonna really love it, and you're gonna love Greta, and we'd love to have you write the song.
0: And then Dua, in terms of writing the song, tell me about that. Tell us about your writing process, Dua. Um, Mm -hmm. You have a writing partner, and what do you write on? Or do you write on piano? Uh, do you have a diary of lyrics tell us about tell us about your process
2: um, so my process really varies I I guess for Dance a Night um, like Mark said you know he created this incredible instrumental and the score for the film and we were pretty much we we were married to it so that was what it had to be and we had to just um you know create a disco Banger that match the energy of the instrumental melodically and lyrically and with the theme of the of the film too. Um I do have a writing, like a, a notebook that I've got every single song that I've written over the past three years um with me. So that's kind of like my little, my relic, my good luck charm. And yeah, we just we went into the studio and we really kind of t- spoke about. The premise of the film, we spoke about Barbie's best day ever. We spoke about the fact that, you know, Barbie essentially has this existential crisis and her whole life goes upside down from that moment on. And it's like, all right, how do we create a song that becomes this turning point for the film that in a way narrates what's coming next, but at the same time, you know, has glitzy Barbie-esque disco elements um, in it with an underlying story you know you've got lyrics in there which is like not one hair out of place which is very Barbie she's very perfect at all times but at the same time she's kind of going through all these thoughts about death and it's a juxtaposition and what I like to do best is dance crying it's really my favorite genre ever and I think the idea of having that juxtaposition of a really really happy moment but not only are there underlying thoughts of death, but at the same time, you know, you're trying to juggle this idea that that Barbie's not trying to upset anyone. She's having these thoughts. She doesn't know who to go to. She's trying to smile through the pain. All these things are happening and it's all very confusing. And how do we narrate that? And basically we just started on Melody. It was me, Caroline, Andrew, and Mark. And we just kind of sat for a while making melodies that felt that were really cool and unique and different but had a modern disco element to it um and we initially wrote a song that was well the melody stayed the same but the the lyrical content was a little bit different um
1: we leaned heavier on the crying than the dancing i think like it was a little bit more of the existential crisis so it was like We knew we were, like, foreshadowing the film too much, like, for where, right where, right where it was.
0: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey. (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's funny because I had read that, oh, it's a song about dancing throughout the night despite enduring sadness, and I've I've heard this song a million times, and all I hear is glee and happiness. I'm like, where is the sadness? And I went (laughs) back to the lyrics, and I'm like, oh, there it is. It's, like, very faint. (laughs) But um, what I love about the song is it, you know, from the moment the needle drops in the film, it screams summer, it screams Barbie. Did, I mean, getting that, was that lightning in a bottle mark? Like that, it just, it's such a perfect song.
1: Well, I think that like, what was really great about the way the movie came to us in our first initial conversation with Greta is like, I don't think i even knew what studio was involved or what what label the soundtrack was going to be on like it was so felt so low-key that it i think that it gave us this chance to create in this sort of free way i think if the pressure we thought of how big this movie is supposed to be and the atlantic had their second quarter projections like i would have just probably frozen up and i like the fact that greta seemed to like imply i remember at some point that that there should be like some musculature and there usually is with the most of doers big songs too. Like it should be like heavy. It's not, it's not syrupy pop. It's got some like grit and the chords are like bump, 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 bump. Like they're not even the most obvious. They're not sort of Abba-ish chords, you know? Um, not, no, knock to Abba. I fucking love Abba. But, um, yeah. So I think that at some point on the way Greta started to like, I think maybe tease like some language, like Barbie smash summer hit or something, you know, but that was just her being a little tongue in cheek. But I think the fact that we were just trying to make the best thing. And then, you know, obviously, when Stu became involved and, we, and Carolyn and Andrew, we started to write the song that we all felt good about, then it moved to a bit of a place where like, oh, this, maybe this could be a hit, but you, you never know that anyway. That's, I feel like I, I, I certainly never know that kind of stuff.
2: No, you definitely never know that. And, and in more instances than not, like I, I think because it's, you know, a lot of the music that I make is essentially pop. It is like the chords are maybe a little unconventional or the way that it sounds, but that's why it just takes a little time. Like they're like slow to grow and then they just kind of stick around for a while. Um, and I think it, it's, I don't know, I think the more you listen to it, you hear different things that kind of become maybe infectious in in that because they're not so assuming, I guess, like immediately as a pop record.
0: What does Mark do well as a producer?
2: Mark's knowledge as, first of all, Mark has an infinite knowledge of music, like around the globe over the years, through time, like she's I'm really old. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> I'm <just kidding>. not <laughs> quite. But right. Um,
2: <laughs> but just, um, I think Mark's knowledge and Mark's experience of music, the way Mark has grown in the industry, the way that he is, I don't know, he just knows so much about sounds, he knows what goes well, he's so intuitive with sound, and I don't know, it, it's just, um, I think it's just obviously something that comes very, very naturally to him. Um, I think if there was anybody that I would trust with, with anything to do with music, it would be Mark. Um, Yeah.
0: And Mark, was this, I know I, you know, you won an Oscar for, for shallow on a star is born. Was this the first time that you had to curate an entire soundtrack?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. It grew out of this song and then we wrote I'm Just And I think at that point, I'm sure, listen, there was Atlantic were involved with Kevin Weaver and there was going to be a big soundtrack, but who knew how much the film was going to be music driven, you know? And then I think by the time we worked on those first few songs, it became clear that Greta and I, like we had a good language and I understood we had I could kind of see what she was wanted and I liked all her choices. So then I think it just was pretty organic that I ended up coming in to help oversee the soundtrack as well. Um, but yeah, no, I, I've never done anything like this and it was, it was, you know, it was like some stuff that was really fun like this and some stuff that was just like not as sexy at all. Just like four hour admin calls, you know, twice a week with, with Atlantic and having to bother Kevin from Tame and and be like, can you send the goddamn demo in please? Like, you know, there were definitely like things that were just like, but I was so kind of in love and in step with the whole movie at that point. I was just kind of down to do whatever, really, just to whatever, whatever the holes needed filling on different, uh, different songs and different across the board.
2: You had Barbies all over the studio, different yeah. kinds of Barbies. They were just like all little, like,
1: um, I don't know, inspo, yeah. inspo toys all over. That was it's cool. the first time they're not here. I noticed maybe someone <laughs> else is here anyway. Yeah. Well...
0: You know, given that, you know, this is a very uh, philosophical, you know, movie about female power and independence. And that said, what did Barbie mean to both of you in writing the song and also Mark in building the soundtrack?
1: I don't think Barbie meant... A whole lot to me. I mean, obviously, I moved to America in 1983. So, like, Barbie was, of course, everywhere. I'm pretty sure my sisters play with it. But it was probably pretty tied into my experience of moving to America. It was, like, Barbie and um, (laughs) He-Man. But I think probably, like, a lot of people, like, this version of Barbie will be the way that people think about Barbie for quite a long time. I mean, obviously, Mattel is, like, one of the biggest brands ever. It's not to say that they necessarily, like, were slumming till this movie came along. But my Barbie now, when I think about it, I picture Margot Robbie. I think of like this beautiful film. So I think I had this script and it was so great. And that's that's what Barbie, like everything that was propelling me uh, creatively probably came from that vision. Mm.
2: Barbie for me, I, um, I remember having Barbies, but for me, it was like my form of expression was to cut their hair and change their outfits and i never wanted my barbie to be really pretty or like i just didn't really love the way she was always so perfect like for me it was like coloring the hair drawing the face sometimes taking the head off an occasional leg it really depended on like how i felt um in the moment but it was it was just like whatever i wanted it was just um you know, a fun toy to like really express myself, which is why I feel like the film also kind of gave it a whole new meaning for me, because I felt like I related to Barbie way more than I did when I was younger. It gave me, it it was like, oh, but that is the Barbie that I, you know, feel like I recognize much more in my childhood. And the way that I saw it was, you know, it it being perfect. So it kind of needed to kind of break, through some kind of something else. Like, I don't know what I thought when I was younger, but, um, the idea of stereotypical Barbie wasn't my favorite, you know, Barbie per se.
0: Are both of you working together again?
1: I think we're <laughs> always like, I mean, I just love working with Dua. She's just, especially on this song, because this was the first song we really wrote together from soup to nuts. and, Uh, yeah, I hope that we'll always work together because I, I love the way she writes. I love her voice and she's just a good friend and all of it.
0: I was trying to get to more specifically DL3.
1: I thought,
2: I thought so. I thought that's what you were, what you were digging, digging into.
0: Are there any fingerprints of Mr. Ronson's on DL3?
1: No, <laughs> we're both just like leaving. No, out but that. it's an amazing Wait. album.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. We every haven't got anything we for DL three, but we have we have been been writing some stuff that might might find a home.
1: Every, every time we would get yeah, yeah. back in to write, we would end up being like, okay, well, we'll spend. How about we spend Monday fine tuning the Barbie song, and then we'll work Tuesday through Friday on something for for DL three, and then we'd we'd just open up. The Pandora's box, the Barbie, and just keep making it better. And then it would just turn out that every time we got yeah. together, just came with like tinkering and making this song as good as it could be.
2: Yeah, we were really, really focused on on Dance Tonight, but we will always be working together. So I'm sure there's a lot more in store for me and Mark musically. At least I hope so.
0: Me too. Dewey Lipa and Mark Ronson, thank you so much. <laughs> thank, thank you, you so, so much, much Anthony. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.